a hospice chaplain visited my parents this past week. One of the questions on his mind in meeting with my parents was this. What is your religion? The answer to that question for them is Christian. The answer for most of us in this room, maybe not all of us, but the answer to that question of what is our religion would be Christian. That prompts another question in my mind this weekend, and it's this. What kind of religion is Christian? What kind of religion is Christianity? John Stott was one of the most influential pastors and for that matter people of the 20th century and early in the 21st century. He went home to heaven in 2011. John Stott was a pastor and a theologian, pastor to All Souls Church in London. He was voted by Time Magazine as one of the 100 most influential people of the world in 2005. John Stott said this about Christianity. Christianity is in its very essence a resurrection religion. The concept of resurrection lies at its heart. If you remove it, Christianity is destroyed. So for the next 30 minutes or so, I want to deliver the details of the heart of Christianity, the resurrection. I want to show you the good news of our Easter celebration. I want to talk about the resurrection and our Easter celebration and how it sets up over three different scenes covering three different days. I want to speak to you about the darkest night and the quietest day and the brightest morning. As we cover the details of Easter, I want to also finish our time by making application that the resurrection weekend in some facets repeats itself over and over again in our lives. And I want to make the argument that because of the resurrection, regardless of what day it is, every day is a day of hope if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. I want to call your attention to these last few chapters of the gospel of Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, this third gospel, third book in the New Testament. In Luke chapter 22, we have this last week in the life of Jesus. We're moving into the last weekend in the earthly life of Jesus. 
We're coming out of Thursday in this last week of the life of Jesus into Friday. And Friday starts early for Jesus in this last week. The events that we read begin to happen around midnight, early Friday morning. And when we come to Luke chapter 22, I want to begin reading in verse 39 an extended passage that gives the details of what I'm calling the darkest day. Perhaps the darkest day ever. It was Friday. It was this last Friday in the earthly life of Jesus. The darkness of this day was literal, it was physical, and it was spiritual. It is a day that was characterized as being involved in spiritual darkness and a day that literally has unexpected physical darkness. Listen or follow along with me, Luke chapter 22, verse 39. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Will saying, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Verse 47, while he was still speaking, there came a crowd, and the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw that would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with a sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. And Jesus said to the chief priest and officers of the temple and elders who had come out against him, have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house and Peter was following at a distance and when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together Peter sat down among them then a servant girl seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him said this man also was with him but he denied it saying woman I do not know him and a little later someone else saw him and said you also were one of them but Peter said man I am not And after an interval, about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly, this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept 
bitterly. Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. They also blindfolded him and kept asking him, prophesy, who is it that struck you? And they said many other things against him, blaspheming him. When day came, the assembly of the elders of the people gathered together, both chief priests and scribes, and led him away to their council. And they said, if you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, if I tell you, you will not believe, and if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. So they all said, are you the Son of God then? And he said to them, you say that I am. Then they said, what further testimony do we need? We have heard it ourselves from his own lips. Chapter 23. Then the whole company of them arose and brought him before Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, you have said so. Then Pilate said to the chief priest and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. But they were urgent, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, from Galilee and even Galilee, even to this place. When Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at that time. And when Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him because he had heard about him. And he was hoping to see some sign done by him. So he questioned him at some length, but he made no answer. The chief priest and the scribes stood by vehemently accusing him and Herod, with his soldiers, treated him with contempt and mocked him. They then arraying him in splendid clothing. He sent him back to Pilate, and Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day. For before this, they had been in, at enmity with each other. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving of death, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. But they all cried out together, Away with this man and release to us Barabbas, a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus. But they kept shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! A third time he said to them, Why, what evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder for whom they asked. But he delivered Jesus over to their will. And as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene who was coming in from the country and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. 
For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. And they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? And two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. While the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two, Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle when they saw what had taken place returned home beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision in action and he was looking for the kingdom of God this man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus then he took it down and wrapped it in linen shroud and laid it in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever been laid it was a day of preparation and the Sabbath was beginning the women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid then they returned and prepared spices and ointments It was the darkest day. It was dark because of the spiritual battle that was raging for the souls of man and the Son of God. And this was physically demonstrated when at noon the sky grew dark until about three. The darkness of this day It's described here, this long passage describing at length the arrest 
the trials, the crucifixion, the burial of Jesus. There are at least five reasons here of why this day was dark. One of those was because of betrayal. It was a dark day because of betrayal. Judas, think about it. Jesus had prayed all night one night and he fasted and he came that next morning and he chose from those following him 12 apostles and Judas was one of those 12 and Jesus chose him to be with him and to send him out to preach and for some three years Judas would travel with them eating, the disciples eating together asking questions, being taught by Jesus seeing miracles This story tells us that on that evening in the garden that it was Judas, one of those 12 who had traveled with him, who had been with him, betrayed Jesus and led the Roman guards to him. It was a dark night also because of the work of spiritual darkness. Jesus made the statement. He says, this is your hour and the power of darkness. There was this battle going on, this battle raging where Satan believed that he was winning, where he was wiping out Jesus. He was interrupting God's plan. But it also was dark because of denial. When we speak of these, this day, Friday, being a dark day, it was betrayal. It was the work of darkness, spiritual darkness, and it was denial. Jesus had predicted two Peter, again, one of those 12 that had been with him for those three years. Simon Peter had said, I I won't disown you. I I won't deny you. Jesus said, yes, you will. Before the rooster crows, you will have done it three times. And in this dark day, you see that account where they began to recognize Peter and they, uh, they charged him with being one of his followers and Simon Peter again and again and again said, I don't know him. You're wrong. And the rooster crows and his eyes, the gospel tell us, lock eyes with Jesus. And he leaves and he weeps bitterly. It was a dark day because of betrayal, the work of darkness, denial. It was also a dark day because of injustice. What happened in this day in any account would, be, would not be considered fair. In fact, those who were involved in the process and involved in this day even recognized that. Pontius Pilate said, I see nothing here deserving of death. The, the criminal on the cross rebuked the other criminal by saying, what are you saying? We're the ones who are guilty. It would be just for us to die. It's just for us to die. It's not just for him to die. He's not guilty. And then when Jesus gave up his last breath, it says that the centurion looked and he saw. He recognized what had happened. The crowd went away beating their chest. What does that mean to me? It it, it gives indication that they were looking at something that they had witnessed something that just did not seem right. It was a dark day because of injustice. In fact, 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 18 speaks of this. When it, listen to this verse, it says, For Christ also suffered 
1 Peter 3.18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteousness for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Jesus Christ, the righteous, he died the death of the unrighteous. But it was a dark day also because of death by crucifixion. We read the account here. I took the time to read the passage to give us the, the, the picture of what's going on. John's gospel, chapter 19, gives us much more detail of the brutality that would take place. The story of the crucifixion, a crown of thorns being forced down on his head, the tearing of his back with whips, the torture of crucifixion itself. Crucifixion would have been known as the ultimate form of public humiliation, the ultimate form of shame and suffering. The cross was identified in God's word as a curse. And here this death of crucifixion was where Jesus ultimately paid for all sin. And the scene of darkness here is the picture of the iniquity, as the Bible says, the iniquity of us all being laid upon his shoulders. And 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. That's more than just theological truth. That is practical statement as well of what took place in the crucifixion on this day when he became sin for us Jesus went through all of this it was the darkest day it leads to the next day Saturday what I would call in our time together here the quietest day there's just a single verse in the Gospel of Luke, not chapters, just a single verse. Chapter 23, the very last phrase of chapter 23. Look at it. On the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. Now that phrase is jam-packed. On the Sabbath, they rested. There was one activity only by the followers of Jesus and those that had been with him. One activity on Saturday. They rested. Other scenes in Scripture give us the idea that they likely had have been scattered around the crucifixion, had gathered back together, perhaps even in the upper room where the disciples had shared the Passover meal together gospel of John tells us that they were huddled together in fear that they themselves might be arrested think about it let's pause for just a moment here Jesus has been laid in a borrowed tomb and the tomb sealed The women that followed him, the men that followed him. Friday had been a day of chaos and confusion. It had rocked them. They were reeling. They had scattered. 
Peter had denied him. Judas had betrayed him. Even criminals on the cross said, this isn't right. And on this quietest day, the only thing that the followers of Jesus knew to do was to fall back on their religious ritual. Rest. Stop. Be still. Try to make sense of it all. What happened yesterday? What's going to happen tomorrow? What do we do next? Will we die next? What did he say before he left? It's just quiet. It strikes me that in this most confusing and fearful time for those who had followed Jesus, the one thing that they did was to hold on to their religion. They didn't break the Sabbath. They had a holy habit of keeping the Sabbath. They had this dutiful discipline of honoring the Sabbath. It says on the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. They did the one thing that they knew to do. What about Jesus? What was he doing? Do you know that in Scripture there's at least three references that Jesus, though dead in the body, that his spirit, his soul, descended, descended into death. What does that mean? Well, that's been debated for many, many years. Ephesians 4.9 makes reference to, to this. In Ephesians 4.9, it says, in saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens. In 1 Peter 3.19, it makes reference to Jesus descending. It says, 1 Peter 3.18, Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. The Apostles' Creed, maybe recited by you in some religious setting in your lifetime, is still recited to this day, was written about 300 years after the death of Jesus Christ. There's phrases in the Apostles' Creed that summarizes who Jesus is and what he did, says this, he suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, on the third day, he rose again. When did he descend to the dead? Matt Emerson is a Baptist theologian that teaches at Oklahoma Baptist University. And he makes the case, according to these passages of Scripture and even looking at the Apostles' Creed, that when it says that Jesus descended into death, that it gives us the picture and the understanding that Jesus is able to sympathize with us not only in everything in life, but also of everything in death. 
that he descended into death. And Matt Emerson argues, and I, I, I agree wholeheartedly with this, that when the scripture speaks of Jesus descending to the dead as he would ascend to heaven, that it was his victory speech. It was on this silent day when the followers of Jesus did not understand what was going on that Jesus was making his case to the dead. You think it's over. Tomorrow I will rise again. Friends, listen. You and I go through dark days. Often followed by quiet days. When the scripture speaks of Jesus descending to when scripture speaks of Jesus descending to the dead, it gives to us this glimpse that God is in absolute control, even on the quietest of days for our lives. Jesus reigns on the enemy's parade. And let me clarify, I don't mean R-A-I-N-S. I mean R-E-I-G-N-S. He reigns. Jesus reigns on the enemy's parade. Maybe better said he reigns over their parade. This brings us to the last scene. The darkest day, the quietest, the the, the darkest night, the quietest day, and third and finally, the brightest morning. In chapter 24, but on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise and they remembered his words now darkest night quietest day brightest morning I love that it wasn't seven o'clock in the afternoon on Sunday when they discovered that the tomb was empty it was first thing Sunday morning It was daylight. It was dawn. The the angels were in dazzling garb. Why was this considered the brightest? Why would I call this the brightest morning? Because on this day when the tomb was found to be empty, Jesus has verified all his claims. Anything that you would read up until this point in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you read about the story of Jesus, his claims, his promises, and you think, could he do it? Could he do the impossible? He died. He was buried. And on the third day, he rose from the dead. He defeated our greatest enemy. All his claims verified Here's what Jesus did when he rose from the dead. He proved that he can keep his word. 
He proves that he keeps all his promises. The darkest night had become the brightest morning. A.W. Tozer says, the cross is always the harbinger of the resurrection. What the enemy thought was victory was actually his defeat. When Jesus rose, people began to witness him being alive. 1 Corinthians 15 just lays it out one by one by one who he appeared to until he appeared to hundreds in bodily form. Isaiah in the Old Testament gave prophecy to this day when he said, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has light shone. You know what we have today gathered here right now? You and I know what darkness is, but because Jesus rose again, light has come. Light has interrupted the darkness. I close with this. For my life and my eternity. For your life and your eternity. We need the person of the resurrection. Okay? We need Jesus Christ. The one who died. The one who was buried. And the one who rose again. I sinned. You've sinned. I can't do anything about my sin that separates me from God. Jesus' death on the cross paid for my sins. He was buried, and when he rose from the dead, he verified that his offering for my sin was worthy to satisfy the wrath of God. I need the person of the resurrection. Jesus lives, therefore through faith in him, I can live forever. You here today, because Jesus died to pay for your sins, if you would turn to him and trust him for your salvation, you too can have eternal life. But also with that, not only do I need the person of the resurrection, I need the power of the resurrection you need the power of the resurrection and I made the argument from the beginning that the 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 scene of the resurrection repeats itself over and over in our life and here's what I mean every one of us walk through times that we can only describe as darkness the darkness of death the darkness of denials, the darkness of betrayals, the darkness of injustice, the darkness of spiritual warfare. We walk through those things in our lives. Some of you know that well sitting here today. And even as we walk through darkness, those days often give way to quietness. And we find ourselves wondering, Where are you, God? Speak, say something, do something. I don't understand this. I'm scared. I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know what yesterday means. The the, the quietest day, Saturday in the resurrection, it's the day after for us. It's the day after you get the doctor's appointment report. It's the day after you find the letter on the table. It's the day after you get that phone call. It's the day after... 
and you're saying, I don't know what to do. Can I suggest to you that in those times that you're walking through darkness and it becomes extremely quiet and you don't know what to do, can I give you some advice according to what the followers of Jesus did here? Hold on to what you know is right. Don't quit reading the word. Don't quit praying. Don't quit coming to church. Don't quit fellowshipping with other believers. You may say, it's hard. I I can't do it. I don't hear God speak. Just stay with it. You know why? Because, as they say, Sunday's coming. Amen. Sunday's coming. And there will be like Psalm 30 verse 5 says that weeping may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And that's what happened with the disciples. And that's what's happened with our earth. Joy came in the morning. Jesus rose in the morning. We need the power of the resurrection to walk us through those dark days, even through the quiet days, so that we can hold on for Sunday, so that we can hold on to the brightest of mornings. Holding on to that day, maybe soon or it may be later. Friends, listen. This evening, this day, the empty tomb, the empty tomb is a declaration, a constant declaration of hope. (laughs) Our darkest nights may lead to the quietest days. But because of Jesus, they can lead to the brightest mornings. Oh, happy day. Amen. Oh, happy day. Jesus rose from the dead, giving us both the person of the resurrection and promising to us the power of the resurrection. I want to ask the band to come and join with us as we close this Easter celebration. I don't know what season you're in, what day you're in. Maybe today you need to call out to Jesus to save you and believe him and trust him. And, 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 and it's, it's unbelievable. It's, it's amazing how simple. The Bible says whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You've heard the gospel today, his death for your sins. He rose again if you would believe that today and trust him and follow him the rest of your life. By his grace you'll be saved. Maybe today you already have, but the Lord would use this reminder of the resurrection that this day can be a happy day. This day can be a bright day because of Jesus. Let's stand to our feet. Lord, we pray today that in this room someone might find you and it would be the brightest day of their life. They would turn to you. Lord, I pray today as believers, if we find our hearts discouraged today, that we would cling to you, that you keep your word, and the grave is empty, and there is a reason to hope today. In the great name of Jesus, we celebrate. We celebrate you, Jesus, the risen King.